This is Songwriter, the podcast of stories and answer songs. My name is Ben Arthur. Today's episode features a songwriter and author who are old friends, Rod Picot and Nicholson Baker. Here's Nicholson reading an excerpt from his novel, The Anthologist. How are those poetry exercises coming? Did you do that thing I mentioned, where you write down every real story somebody tells you or that you overhear in a 24-hour period? Did I mention that exercise? Maybe not. I don't mean the stories that come to you on electric screens or through car loudspeakers, but the ones from right around you. I overheard a story at the bank yesterday about a car repair place that overcharged. And then somebody told me a story about a dog who ate a sock. The vet couldn't shift it, so he removed the sock surgically, and now the dog is doing well. And there were other stories, too. If you listen to them, the stories and fragments of stories you hear can sometimes slide right into your poem and twirl around in it. Then later you cut out the story, and the poem has a mysterious feeling of charged emptiness, like the dog after the operation. I'm not going to get all maudlin about why Roz moved on. She moved on, period. I know why. It's because I didn't write the introduction to my anthology. And I was morose at times with her, and I was shockingly messy. And I had irregular sleeping habits. And she was supporting us, and I was nine years older than she was. And I didn't want to walk the dog as much as I should have. And I got farty when we had Caesar salads. And I do miss her. Because she was so warm and so kind to me. And she taught me so many things. I squandered her good nature. I didn't take it seriously. I didn't see that it was finite. Roz told me, just go up in the barn and write it, referring to the introduction to my forthcoming poetry anthology, Only Rhyme. She said, just go, just go up there and write it. You want to write it. Your editor wants you to write it. I want you to write it. Write it. I said I couldn't write it. It was too awful, too huge. It was like staring at death. She said, well then, write a flying spoon poem. Go up there and write something. You'll feel better if you do. She was right, of course. So I went up to the barn. The second floor is empty and has very few windows. It smells like I imagine the inside of an old lute would smell. I brought up my white plastic chair, and I took notes, and I read, and I thought, and I took more notes, and I sang songs. It was a beautiful week in very early summer, and I felt as if I was sitting inside John Dowland's old lute. I sang a song that Sinead O'Connor sings, She Moved Through the Fair. And I sang a song I wrote myself that goes... I'm in the barn, I'm in the barn, I'm in the barn in the afternoon. I sang that one a lot. And I made up a new tune for Poe's Raven. But every time I actually tried to start writing the introduction, as opposed to just writing notes, I felt straitjacketed. So I went out and bought a big presentation easel and a big pad of presentation paper and a green Sharpie pen and a red Sharpie pen and a blue Sharpie pen. What I thought was that I could practice talking through the introduction as if I were teaching a class. 
and in order to be relaxed at the easel, I drank a Newcastle, also coffee, so that I'd be sharp. And still I wasn't sufficiently relaxed, so I drank some Yukon Gold that I found in the liquor cabinet. No, not Yukon Gold, that's a potato. Yukon Jack, a kind of Canadian liqueur. It was delicious. It added a slight Gaussian blur. And then some more coffee, so that I'd still be sharp. Blurred, smeared, but sharp. At the end of the week, I didn't have the introduction. Roz looked sad and hurt, and I felt miserable. She said, Well, are you at least making progress? I said I was, because I was. I was making great strides. But toward what? I was having a gigantic, hopeless, exciting, futile, productive, comprehensive life adventure up in the barn. I was hoarse from singing. I said I thought I'd probably have the introduction done after another week, or at least a flying spoon poem as a fallback. I went to a used bookstore and bought another anthology of Elizabethan verse, my fifth, and I bought some software so that I could save the flash video of Sinead O'Connor on YouTube doing her live rendition of She Moved Through the Fair, which is even better than the one on iTunes. So I was moving forward in a sense. Roz said, But sweetie, you're spending all this money, and we don't have it. And that's true. We didn't have it. Back in the 90s, I took a swoosh at the stock market with money I got from my grandfather. And I did well for a while. That's when I met Roz, and she moved in. I bought some shares of Koss Corporation, the headphone company. And then I split the hairy root ball and bought some Canon depository receipts. Then I split that hairy root ball. I bought Maxdoor and then sold it. I bought stock in a tiny company called Bios, and it doubled in a day and a half. Then I bought lots of bad stocks over several years, and all the money shrank away, more or less. Roz was supporting us now, except for an equity loan on my house and a chunk of money I borrowed from my sister, who was not that rich. If or when I handed in the introduction to Only Rhyme, I'd get $7,000, because my editor, Gene, is very generous. Apart from that, there was almost nothing due, just the odd thousand in honoraria here and there from book reviews or readings or panel discussions, like the one coming up in Switzerland. I can't teach. I tried it once at Hafner College, and it practically unhinged me. I said to Roz, I know it seems excessive and a little odd, but I think this is the only way to really lay it all out fresh and sing the pain. She nodded, and she said, okay, but in a very small voice. I could see she was losing faith in me, and losing her love for me, and her respect for me. Because who wants to be forced into the role of enforcer? Roz was a writer herself and an editor. She wasn't a doubter and a prodder. She wasn't some calendar-tapping scold. She actually liked my poem, Smooth Motion. She was first attracted to me because of it, I think. At least, she wasn't attracted to me for my looks, because I'm not smooth. In fact, I'm pretty rough-looking, although I've lost some weight recently. And once Roz did say that I looked good in a certain 
subtly houndstoothed jacket that she helped me pick out. She hadn't reckoned on having to be forever poking at me to get me to write one 40-page introduction to an anthology, and she didn't want to be arguing over money, and she wanted to adopt a child, and I didn't. Why? I don't know. I see these horribly spoiled, rude, selfish kids and don't want to risk being the father of one. But I think if I'd written even a tiny five-line poem about an inchworm on my pant leg, it would have been fine. Anything. Something. Roz commuted all the way to Concord to work for an alternative newspaper, but I think it would have been all right with her to support us for a little while as long as I was getting actual work accomplished. But when I came down empty-handed from the barn at the end of the second week, that's when I really wounded her. She was standing in the hall, putting her keys in her purse, beautifully made up, smelling clean from her shower. She looked up and said bravely, So, can I read it? And I felt this horrible inner sensation. My caramel clusters of self were liquefying and pooling in the warmth of their own guilt. I said, I'm sorry, honey. I don't have anything. And that was it. My beautiful, patient, funny, short, loving girlfriend, the woman I'd been with longer than anyone else, moved out. She was right to leave me, but it felt really bad, horrible in fact. Plus, I was broke. That was Nicholson Baker with an excerpt from his novel, The Anthologist. I recorded interviews with Rod and Nicholson separately, and only on listening back did I realize how much the two conversations overlapped. So here's Rod Picot and Nicholson Baker in virtual conversation. I'm Nicholson Baker, and I have written some books and some magazine pieces and live in Maine with my wife. We sit around and talk a lot. Well, I'm a Rod Picot. I'm a singer-songwriter. Well, I wanted to be a composer. I started off uh, playing the bassoon, and um, I had this uh, ecstatic experience playing Sibelius's second, and suddenly I was part of this huge cooperative enterprise, and it was just exciting, and I thought, I want to be a composer, and I went down that path for a long time and then realized that I just did not have the basically the mental hardware to be a composer. I sort of started out as a rock and roller, you know, like most kids do. Essentially, I think of myself as a songwriter who had to learn to play and sing <laughs> because he wrote songs. Well, Slade Cleves, we lived in a town um, in Maine, and Slade Cleves was sort of a local hero. Uh, and Slade Cleves and Rod Picot wrote songs together. And the first time I heard a Slade Cleves song uh, was at my daughter's high school. There was a Slade Cleves concert 
Slade Cleves was sort of a is sort of a memory of of, of, of an absent deity there, you know. Uh, my buddy Slade Cleves, who I do a lot of co-writing with and who a lot of people know, uh, Slade asked me if I had read this book by a writer who lived in South Berwick, Maine, which is the town that we grew up in, uh, called House of Holes, <laughs> which is, it's probably the most beautiful, filthy book I've ever read. So he Slade asked me if I'd read it, and I said, no, no. He said, oh, you, you have to read this book. You have to read this book. It's it's like unlike anything you've ever, ever read before. And then I got to know Rod's music because Rod Picot's music because um, I was looking for stuff that was like Slade Cleaves, and um, I got this song, "The Last Goodbye." Goodbye, baby. Goodbye for now. Hope I see you again somehow. And I loved the sound of Rod's voice, the timbre of his voice sort of burned itself in my consciousness. And I made this playlist for my family as we were driving my daughter to college. So this song, this last goodbye song, became a goodbye to my daughter going off to college. And it was just this, 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 this anthem of sadness. I think uh, the anthologist is a masterpiece. Uh, it combines elements of his previous work, like mezzanine and room temperature and Vox and the Fermata were, were incredibly brave pieces of writing with no parameters whatsoever. I just think it's a it's a perfect book. I think it's absolutely beautiful. It's one of my favorite books ever. I got into music again, sort of playing around with logic and wrote some songs. Some of the stuff that I had played with as a, a would-be avant-garde composer in my teens came bubbling up as ambient trance music. I mean, uh, 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 or just just kind of strange music that I ended up writing. I have uh, published two books of poetry, um, one book of short stories, and uh, I'm working on two Two novels. I have a novella finished, and I'm working on two novels. Well, we meet at the uh, sandwich shop here in Orono, and we have a sandwich and talk about life. And um, there's always seems to be a lot to talk about, and that's what you need from a friend. So, in one of his emails, he said, "When you when you come up to Maine, let's have a sandwich." <laughs> that was so charming, you know, like not, not let's go out to eat, but let's specifically have a sandwich. And he's so humble, you know. He he asked me, <laughs> this lowly singer singer songwriter with a marginal marginal career, you know, what he thought, what I wanted him to read about, or or you know, which section. I'm I'm assailed by self-doubt continuously. I'm always questioning whether I'm making good use of the reader's time. Everybody, um, in the end, has a very small band of followers. I mean, unless you are William Shakespeare or somebody who's in the in the actual canon and is taught mechanically taught century after century in schools. Otherwise, um, you know, you're going to be forgotten. But but that doesn't matter because the the feeling, the excitement of doing it, of making a sound, a set of organized sound on a guitar or 
a, a nice transition between paragraphs is so absorbing that it makes everything else go away. You know, it makes life feel like it's worth living creatively. It was absolutely terrifying to write something for, to accompany a piece of writing by Nicholson Baker, yeah. Something about a relationship is the easiest thing to write about. I just sort of thought about it and I thought about, you know, how that relationship sort of disintegrate is disintegrating. You know, we've all been through that. And um, there was a place in the book where he talked about Roz losing faith in him. And I know what that feels like for me. And I know and I've seen it happen to people I've been with losing their faith in me. Yeah, I mean, losing that relationship was um, we had worked very hard at it. Obviously not hard enough. But, uh, so it was a shattering experience, I have to say, listening to it. Uh, sh sh uh, not shattering. That's the wrong word. It was... I, I, I listened to it and I just thought, wow, that's, that's true. You know, that he has caught the truth of what... of a feeling that I have felt. Yet he has made it his own feeling. It's something that Nabokov talked about that... Um, a title, he, she, he said that a title should convey uh, the flavor of a book and not its subject or something like that. You know, a song has to be its own thing primarily. It's a, it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's an organism. It has its own set of forces. It's like a molecule that has to curl up on itself in a specific way. And yet um, it is flavored by the medium it's it's uh, that gave rise to it here's a brand new song by rod picot called losing faith written in response to nicholson baker's the anthologist it can come on wings words on a page soft as a whisper Heart is a cage, and where it goes, no one can tell. No one sees the bottom of the wishing well. Losing faith, an empty pain. Or you can't remember how to play Losing faith Watch it fly away on wings Love turns to loss as the nightingale sings So sing your blues on a rusted horn the roses thorn to a love that's gone losing faith an empty page a chord you can't remember how to play you're losing faith 
Are you ghosts in that house? Were you waiting on me? Did you rattle my chain or did you need to be free? What I didn't do turned me to a rave. You were searching but couldn't find a trace. A light came in through a window pane. I watched us dancing. On an empty stage You're losing faith An empty page The chord you can't remember how to play That was Losing Faith by Rod Picot, written in response to The Anthologist by Nicholson Baker. The next episode features a story by Lucia Berlin, read by Elizabeth Gehagen, and a song written in response by Rebecca Rigo. Songwriter is a part of the American Songwriter Podcast Network, along with some other great podcasts. Check out americansongwriter.com forward slash podcast. And you can always get early access to the Songwriter Podcast at Paste. Just go to pastemagazine.com and search for Ben Arthur. And while you're there, check out the Paste Podcast or get it wherever you get yours. Last, thanks as always to Rob Reinhardt and Acoustic Cafe. 